Hey guys, this is David Avalon with the Breaking the Guard podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you all to check out davidmma.com. That is my new website where I've been posting all of my technique videos, philosophy videos, articles covering all sorts of topics from diet, nutrition, fitness, news, etc. We also have new courses there. Uh, we just finished filming the Head Inside Single Leg series. And we also did some MMA takedowns. And you can check out the site by going to davidmma.com. And you can register for a free account, which gives you access to uh, four courses for free and a bunch of the articles and videos. So go ahead and visit davidmma.com right now and start learning. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Guard. Let's get on to the news. So we had one FC 165 take place this early morning slash yesterday, if you're, or is it tomorrow, if you're like on the Easter side of the world, it was, it was, it was in Japan. Uh, so I think our time, it was like 3 a.m. or something here on the Pacific Coast. And... Uh, the notable fights that I was paying attention to that had the quote-unquote bigger names were, one, we had Gary Tonin uh, going against Martin Nguyen. Uh, and this was, I think, for the next title shot and, uh, and posed a bit a striker versus grappler, obviously Gary Tonin being the grappler in this case. And uh, again, spoiler alerts coming out, so if you don't want any spoilers, tune out right now. Otherwise... Gary Tonin wins by a rear naked choke in the very first round. Uh, was able to execute a grappling game plan, pull him to the ground, get to the back body triangle, and then was able to work in for the rear naked choke. So congrats to him. Uh, and similarly, we had Shinji Aoki, who was originally supposed to fight Super Sage, right? Uh, and something happened where Sage was not available he got hurt it wasn't clear why he wasn't there but then they threw Lineker in there uh as a literally last minute replacement and uh although Lineker is a strong dude he's significantly smaller and the size uh advantage was very apparent uh just visually immediately and Shinye also was able to take this to the ground uh and finish with a submission as well I believe it was also a rear naked choke, if I recall correctly. Uh, and Shinya is around my age, I think, maybe a year or two younger. So pretty impressive that he's still out there fighting animals, you know, and like <laughs> at that age. We also had Cade Rotulo get a rematch uh, versus Tommy Langacker, which they had a very good match the first time around. And on running it back, it proved no different, although it seemed this time around Cade was much more dominant, getting a lot of, of catches and being the aggressor for most of the, the matchup. So he retained his title in the one grappling uh, division. Back home, at least in my hometown, Miami, we had uh, a karate combat event, which for whatever reason was throwing a lot of grappling matches. And it had... A bunch of the guys from New Wave that I've had the, the pleasure or displeasure, <laughs> depending on how you want to put it, of training with. Uh, they had Luke, uh, 
uh, grappling against Wagner Rocha, which is a very weird matchup because Luke now is quite big. I think he's like 230, 240-something, and he's like 20-something. And Wagner Rocha is probably around 200 pounds, maybe less, and like 42 or something. I know he's my age, more or less. So big size disadvantage, big weight disadvantage. Nonetheless, Wagner came out on top, and I didn't get to see the whole match. I, I tuned in late. I saw like the later half of it. But uh, Wagner seemed like he just wore him out because at the end he was just kind of ragdolling Luke around and able to pass and just take him down pretty much at will. Oh, very impressive victory. Luke's a really tough customer, so uh, amazing job by, by Wagner to be able to still be a dog in the game, you know. And it, it just shows that I feel like having the stamina and the ability to push pace is super important. A lot of people like to sleep on cardio and think, oh, you know, you're just technical enough. That's, that's all you need. And that's not true, right? Somebody who is a good tactician, and, uh, and I believe Wagner is. He's a smart dude. He's been in the game for a long time. He's seen lots of tricks. He's played lots of tricks. So I'm sure he went in there thinking, uh, I want to get this big boy tired so that I can work him when he's fatigued because he has a lot of confidence in his conditioning. He's been in a lot of wars. He knows what it takes. Whereas Luke is still relatively young, or not relatively, he is young, but as, as, speaking in competition terms, uh, he probably doesn't have nearly the amount of experience that uh, Wagner has. So if Wagner could have dragged him to the deep waters, that would put him to trouble, which it clearly did. So congrats to him. And then there was Max Jimenez versus Big Dan, which is again another uh, clash of titans. Right, these are two enormous people. Uh, I'm not sure how big Max is, but he looks like, although Big Dan's taller and more limby, Max looks a lot more girthy. Right, so uh, Max might be heavier. I'm not sure who's heavier, but either way, <laughs> it's probably good that they were fighting. Which is another thing that was pretty interesting. They were fighting in a pit, right? So rather than have a cage or a ring or, you know, where people are going out of bounds, the karate combat uses a pit. So basically there's like, uh, it's elevated and then it slopes at an angle and then it's fought there. I think this is a very interesting take. I'm not sure how that will play out over time as far as if, it seems it'll be a lot more difficult to get someone out of bounds because it's a pretty steep incline. So you would really have to want to run up it <laughs> to, to get out of bounds. And it's not just a steep drop off. There's like another layered mat. So it would, be, it would be very difficult to have a ring out in that situation. And I did see a few occasions like uh, both Wagner and Max, they used that incline to pass guard like they would like circle around it while they were like chest to chest to go to like a north-south type position right so it does have some uh unique ring play if you will just like the wall the cage does in mma and uh, i think from a spectator point of view if you're in the stands as long as they're high enough to have the clearance so you can actually see it because that's the other problem seeing from a spectator point of view if you're on the floor 
he can't see anything. So obviously everything has to be elevated. But assuming if it is, you should have a very good view angle. You don't have to worry about looking through a cage or through ring ropes. Um, so that might be good. And I, especially for grappling, I hate when referees have to get in there and pull people back in and do restarts. It creates all... Yeah, I know about restarts going wrong, all right? So <laughs> uh, it's better if there's no restart at all. It's just continuous action. So I'm definitely there for that. Uh, but... I got sidetracked a little bit. Uh, Max Jimenez ended up winning that match against Big Dan a pretty dominant fashion as well. I'm not sure what happened to Big Dan. At a certain point, uh, at the end of the match, he was grabbing his knee. He was limping out. I couldn't see anything in particular where, like, this guy never went for a leg lock or anything like that. But they're two big guys. They were both in the beginning doing, like, uchimaras to each other. Big Dan hit him with one. And then he, I think he got him with one back. At a certain point, Big Dan pulled guard and just never really got off his back. And Max was able to pressure from the top and work to pass a bunch of times. Uh, no real strong submission attempts, but it was just a lot of top positional control. Not the funnest match to watch, being honest. Uh, but a big win, pun intended, for him, uh, Max Jimenez. And uh, finally, the last notable, Helena Cravar, she's the teenage sensation that well I think now she's like 17 or 16 but not a surprise she ended up winning with another I think it was a triangle arm bar if my memory serves but another dominant performance I mean that girl was getting so much experience so early in I can't imagine like what five ten years from now she's just going to be an absolute terror on the mats so uh, congrats to her let's move on to my point of the day here. And on this one, I want to touch on something that I've talked about many times, but I feel it's warranted to bring it up again just in case you're a new viewer or perhaps you need a reminder, which is basics are the most powerful weapons in your arsenal, right? A lot of times people think that they need very complex or advanced techniques in order to beat tough opponents. And I would counter that you're much better off focusing on basic techniques, very simple things, but getting very good at them. If we just look at some of the matches I was talking about in the MMA side of things, right, with uh, Shinya Yoki and Gary Tonin, those are two rear naked choke wins, right? These are very simple moves. Like rear naked choke is probably the easiest move someone could master because it's very basic. You know, you cross your arms over, you finish. Right, it's not complicated. It's the fact that it is simple is what makes it very powerful. Right, the way you have to think about it is, a basic move is so effective that I could show it to anybody, and they could start using it effectively, right away. Now they might not be great at it, but they could still finish. Right, whereas a move that's complicated or advanced is has a lot of moving parts so somebody who is limited in their experience and knowledge won't be able to do it they just can't do it right that would be like let's say doing like a dead orchard for example like if you don't have the flexibility or the know-how and understand all the different moves you're co combined together you probably won't even be able to do it right it's not that you do it poorly you just can't do it right you don't have the knowledge or the skill set yet you have to develop that but a basic move Everybody can do. So, so what that means is that 
a basic move could be executed successfully even with 50% skill level, right? Which in most things, we would consider that that's a failing grade, right? Like you're below 60, you're, you failed. But with a rear naked choke, even if you only understand 50% of the move, you can still hit it, right? And you can still win. Whereas if you have like an inverted rolling umaplata uh, from the turtle, that's, I would consider that a, an advanced move, right? Not complicated, but advanced. But yeah, there's definitely a few moving parts and you have to roll for it literally. Uh, so if you had 50% of that, you're not hitting that move. It's, you're not gonna be able to catch it. Like when you roll, it's gonna fall apart, right? Uh, you probably need at least 75, 80% to be able to just to catch and, and finish, right? The point I'm making here is that most people stop learning a move or working on a move once they're able to successfully hit it, right? For example, to master a complicated move, like I said, like I literally graded that you needed a 25% more skill or understanding to be able to execute, let's say that rolling inverted umaplata, right? Which means it's gonna take you more time to learn it. But once you're able to actually use it, you might say, oh, I'm good, I got it. And you might not continue working on the skill anymore. You just might have it checked off a list saying like, oh, I was able to hit this a few times in training, now it works. So you imagine when you have a, a move that's basic, like a guillotine choke, for example, and you hit it a couple times, maybe in your first time training, you're like, oh, I got it. And you stop working on it. You're leaving another 50% potentially of skill, knowledge, of expertise that could, excuse me, that could be gained from that move but you already wrote it off like you got it because you were able to tap someone out with it. That's where there's a lot of missing ground where if you went from a 50% understanding of a guillotine choke to a 70% to a 80, 90, right? And approaching 100, your ability to finish with that guillotine choke would be ridiculous, right? And it would become almost unstoppable to the average person. That is the type of skill and investment of time that I believe is worth more than learning other moves, right? That is what I have done with my understanding of the Kimura, right? I poured everything into it where I feel I'm somewhere in the 90 plus percent range of applying Kimuras, right? Now, I'm not gonna say 100, I know I'm not 100, Right, and that's generally an impossible number. But somewhere in that 90, 100 range, I'm there, right? Which is what makes me so effective with that move. And I've dedicated a lot of time. I still am learning stuff and trying new things with the Kimura to this day, right? Whereas there's somebody like Roger Gracie, and I don't do the geese, so I don't really work it too much, but you know, the collar choke, the cross choke, right? He is probably somewhere in the high 90s with that technique. Because uh, people that I've talked to, Drysdale, who's been able to train with him and compete with him, and other people, you know, like Lovato, and they all say like the same thing, that his, you know, he has a mastery of those basics. And again, a collar cross choke is a very basic uh, choke. 
but he's got it at such a high level that if he's able to get those grips, you're dead, right? You're done. It's over. Similar to having someone like Marcelo Garcia on your back, you know, like, man, it's, it's almost a wrap, right? Like you can pretty much, you know, call it a day if he's behind you because he's going to get you with that choke, right? Or like having Dean Lister put you in a leg lock and, you know, all these type of people who have mastered a particular position, it's difficult to come back from because they've spent so much time in it. But basic moves, I feel, have the most, they're the lowest hanging fruit because, like I said, most people understand how to do them and they can do them successfully, so they stop doing it right there. What I would urge you to do is instead keep going in, right? Like, don't just stop at being able to successfully hit it. Keep learning details about the move so that you become extremely effective with it, whereas just even a small catch becomes fatal. Right? What would I consider basic moves? Armbar, guillotine choke, renege choke, triangle choke, kimura. Those are five, right? And these are, you know, when we if you look through those five, those are things that you could expect to learn in your first week or so of training, right? They, I'm not saying that's a definitive list. I'm sure we can throw more on depending on your definition of what basic is. But at the very least, you know, we're, if we're talking about armbar, triangle choke, guillotine choke, rear naked choke, and kimura, um, these are moves that can be explained pretty easily and people can hit right away, right? Uh, but if you went into those moves and worked on them further, like an armbar, and figured out, okay, what else besides the hip extension and controlling the wrist. How do I control the wrist? How does that affect how the arm bar? What if I put the arm towards one side instead of the middle or the other side? Or instead of going down the groin, I go on the side of the hip or I go on the other side of the hip, right? Or where do I cross my legs? Or do I not cross my legs? Do I figure for my legs? There's a lot of little, little ways that you can alter, you know, how an arm bar could be applied. The basic principle we get is we're hyperextending the elbow, so we need some elevation at the underneath the elbow, and then we need to control the wrist, right? And we need some way of keeping the rest of his body down. But there's many ways that we can execute that. And when you understand which levers are more powerful than the other, right, then you can make the move more effective. Like I know the new wave guys now are very big on like the I forget, they always like using the Japanese terms, but basically they do like triangle on the near side shoulder uh, versus bringing the legs across the head and body, right? The traditional way that you would have seen like Hoist Gracie doing in the UFC one, right? Whereas now they're essentially triangling the near shoulder here and they, they find that that's more effective. And there's different reasons why, right? Because a lot of people forget that if this shoulder can move up and elevate, I take away your ability to raise my elbow as much, right? Again, if I go a little bit sideways here, if I'm flat on the ground here, the moment your hips move my elbow up, it's a done deal. But if my shoulder starts to pop up here like this, now I'm raising the, my elbow higher off the ground and you have to pull back my wrist more uh, in order to get contact with your hips underneath my elbow. So now, rather, when you pull my arm back, rather than, or my wrist, rather, 
rather than getting my elbow off the ground, you first have to get my shoulder fully in extension, right? Where it's fully pulled back. Only then, now can you get to the elbow, right? Whereas when they do that little uh, shoulder knot or whatnot, a triangle on top of the shoulder, they're pinning the shoulder immediately, so the shoulder can't raise. So now it goes all into the elbow, right? So that's an understanding of the armbar mechanics that allow them to make the move more effective. Is the other way effective? Of course, we've seen hundreds and thousands of armbars being applied in MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, but it doesn't mean that's the most effective way, right? But you're only going to get that if you keep working on the move and practicing it. So rather than just accept what was given to you or what was first taught to you, right? And this could be any technique, not just a basic, but I'm just saying there's a lot more, it's a lot easier to get gold from those basics, right? Uh, since they're so effective that even if you half-ass it, it still works, it's a good place to start working on mastery, right? Anyhow, so what I was saying was, if you stop accepting what was first given to you as the gold standard and nothing to be improved, look further, get a magnifying glass and try to find small details. Break down the move, like, okay, why is this arm bar effective? Like, it doesn't matter where I grab on the lower arm to control and pull the wrist back, right? Like maybe, you know, tucking it under my shoulder is better for me versus just controlling the wrist, or maybe I should be grabbing the thumb so they can't turn their wrist, right? You have to look at all these little variables. And again, I know some people are like, ah, David, that type of stuff hurts my head. I'm like, well, if you want to be a great fighter, a very skilled martial artist, and have a full understanding of the, the techniques that you're using, you're going to have to scratch your head a little bit, right? Uh, and this works great, especially if you have a partner who is also interested in being really good and expanding their understanding of the move. And another way of figuring these things out for yourself, if you struggle just on your own to think about how can I make a move more effective and you're like, uh, I don't know, either get somebody new and teach them the move or pretend that you're going to have to teach the move to somebody and write down like how you would explain it, like you're, you're giving a lecture, so to speak. Because what you're going to find is that there's a lot of things that you know on the subconscious level, and then there are things you know on the conscious level. And when you have to teach, you're going to be forced to dig out some of that subconscious knowledge, right? And I know for me, and you can ask anybody who teaches on a regular basis, they learn a lot more about the move as they teach it. Because a lot of things you just do naturally because you've seen it and you mimic it, but you didn't really consciously register it as an important detail of the technique. I used to teach a kimura that was called the seven-point kimura, which then became an eight-point kimura, and which is currently a nine-point kimura, right? Like I keep uncovering little details that I didn't I was doing the whole time, but I didn't really recognize it as a, a you know a substantial factor in the technique and by emphasizing it now it becomes even more powerful right so when you are forced to teach people things or not say forced but when you do teach people things you're going to be forced to uncover more details because they are since they've never seen it they're they're not going to have that subconscious understanding so when they do the move it's going to go wrong and then you're going to be oh well when i do it this elbow is here and you're like oh that is an important detail, right? I didn't even recognize it. I was just always doing it that way. I've learned 
ways of doing takedowns by watching myself in a competition. There used to be this takedown, or not used to, it still exists. <laughs> I called this the sliding double leg, where I took down Jeff Monson with this. I took down uh, quite a few guys who are really good grapplers. And I always thought in my head I was just doing a double leg. But when I watched the videos, I realized this wasn't a regular double leg because he was standing with, a, it would have been a left lead, right? And I was standing with a right lead. So traditionally, that's not an angle you would shoot a double leg on, right? Because we're, we're opposing leads, if you will. So that's more of a head inside single leg that you would shoot if you were going to just shoot from a dead stance, right? Or from the, without adjusting their weight or whatnot. But what I was doing, I was shooting like I was going into a head side single leg, right? So my, I was making heel toe knee on my right side outside of his left lead. And then rather than try to turn and cut the corner and put my head on the inside, I just slid all the way through. And my head would end up popping up on the outside and I would end up in a double leg. But what made this tricky was normally if I shoot a head inside single leg, you're gonna sprawl, right? And the moment that you sprawl, now your body's on top of my head and you squash me. But since I was shooting past them, they would sprawl and my head would land on the outside. So I would always get a strong angle to, to cut the corner and get to their back. And that's how I ended up taking everybody down off that. The, that sliding double diverted them and made them sprawl and sprawl the wrong direction so that I would get an easy takedown. I never knew that until I actually watched the tapes, right? And then once I started studying the tape, I went, oh, this is what I'm doing, right? And I don't know where I learned it, how I did it, it was an accident, but it was just something that happened by accident, right? Or, you know, just naturally. But it was only when I would review the tape that I started to see this trend, like, man, my shots were all sliding doubles. And, and this is like a, a move I was never taught, right? There's also, a reason why uh, my brother and I always filmed our competition was to study ourselves and to study our opponents. And sometimes you might think, why would I have to study myself? There's a reason. There are things that you're doing that you don't know you're doing, right? To the point that if you're really serious, you film yourself in training because there's going to be things that you're doing that you don't recognize that you're doing, right? And your coach can spot it out, but you're not going to be able to remember it or even be cognizant that you did something like that, right? So even just sparring in, at, at the gym, put a, your phone on the side, film, and when you wanna rest, you know, between sessions or whatnot, you watch that instead. And instead of watching some TV show, watch yourself training and see what you're doing, right? Uh, you're gonna be able to pick up things and correct mistakes or recognize opportunities and be able to improve your game. And all this comes back to the point, which is, if you focus on the basics and become exceptional at them, and while most of my conversation was talking about submissions, this is true of everything. Sweeps, takedowns, strikes, right? Instead of doing spinning back fist and jumping, you know, side kicks and all that, if you work on the basic round kick or the jab, but you get exceptional at it, you're gonna be a lot more dangerous as a striker and a lot more effective versus working lots of funky stuff, right? If you're working on the basic head inside single leg or the double leg versus, you know, a three-step takedown sequence, you know, it's gonna be a lot easier and a lot more effective and a better use of your time. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we're gonna be limited by time, right? We, 
you only have a certain shelf life. Although the guys nowadays are pushing past the 40 barrier and still being very successful, I'm not imagining people are going to be successful until the late 40s, 50s. Right? I just think there's going to be, uh, yeah, I hope to be proven wrong though. But I think at a certain point, you're, as a world class athlete, you're going to start to fall off a bit. Right? So we need to be wise with our use of time. And if you're focusing on learning as many techniques as possible, I feel you're wasting your time. It is much better to have a few techniques and basic techniques are the easiest to learn. And I feel they have the most leverage to gain from them, right? If there's anything you're getting from this, <laughs> this long-winded conversation is that the basics have the most opportunity, right? That's not to say that advanced techniques don't work, but the advanced techniques, I feel, rely on a higher level of understanding the move with a lower yield. Whereas basic techniques have a lower le level of understanding and a much higher yield. So why would I pick something that's complicated when I could pick something that's simple? Personally, for me, it doesn't make sense. I would rather just do all basics. You know, I've done a lot of work with Kimoras, obviously. I've done a good amount of work with uh, arm bars because they go coincide with each other so well. Um, guillotine chokes have put a good amount of work in. Triangle chokes is probably one of the chokes that I haven't put as much time in, although I do have, uh, I do understand what I believe at a good level, the how to apply triangle chokes and what makes them tick. But for my particular style, and that my anatomy with the way my legs are is just trickier, right? The flexibility is an important part and I haven't developed enough yet. I've been working on it though. I've been doing my yoga. I've been trying to open up my hips more so I can catch them, but not being a long limbed guy is definitely going to factor in that technique. So, uh, but I still know how to do them with particularly side triangles, which work well with Kimura traps and all that. And then rear naked chokes, uh, an area I want to get stronger at. I typically, I'm not very good at back control because again, because of the triangle situation, I don't have a great body triangle. It's very hard for me to lock it up. And without a body triangle on high level guys, it's pretty tricky to keep them in there. And when you see like one of the better guys I know attacking the back is actually Luke. Um, his body triangle is so ridiculously tight and he's able to glue his hips and his torso so well to you. Whereas most people who need to control the back have to have a seatbelt or at least one arm under while they're fishing with the other hand. He can use both his hands. He doesn't need any upper body control to keep you in the back, which makes it so much easier for him because he can just literally rip with both hands and dig to under the chin to get a choke. Uh, whereas most people have to at least have one type of uh, upper body control and fish with one hand before they can make both hands to connect and finish the choke. So there's still more that I have, and that's probably like one of the, the next areas that I need to focus on as far as my, my jiu-jitsu game is just getting really nasty with rear naked chokes. And uh, that's where I would probably be spending more time in personally, right? If I'm gonna master a basic, that would be the one that, that I'm gonna do. So you have to figure out what would be an easy one to, to jump into. But like I said, those are good starts, right? Armbar, triangle choke, guillotine choke, rear naked choke, kimura. Pick one of those, get really good at it, and then keep going as much as you can. 
and try to use it as, as much as possible. And those are just submissions. We can also do that with takedowns, pick takedowns that are basic, right? Uh, pick sweeps that are basic, guard passes that are basic, and try to gain as much uh, results for them as you can. That's my take on it. Hope you guys get some value from that. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please share, like, comment, all that good stuff, and uh, help us spread the word about breaking the guard. And, of course, visit the website, davidmma.com. Join. We actually host the podcasts there as well. You might be seeing this you know, on Spotify or some other uh, podcast platform. But we do have the video uh, hosted on davidmma.com, which is free to access. You don't have to enroll. So if you want to get it in video format, you can take a look at davidmma.com. Besides, that's where we have all the techniques, all the courses, all the other stuff that you've come to expect from me. You can get it at davidmma.com.